Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For much too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, and that leads to gender inequality in leadership and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We absolutely must change this. And I hope that many of you listening right now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible in a way that works for you and for your families. So you can make the decisions that make our world and our organizations better places. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about giving parents the support and space to progress to senior leadership in a way that works for them and their families. We have lots of free events and also lots of resources on leadersplus.org where you can download helpful toolkits such as on returning from maternity leave, or securing a promotion as a working parent, or thriving or surviving, depending how you look at it as a dual career couple. We also have an award-winning global fellowship program for working parents who have big dreams for their careers, but don't want to sacrifice everything for it. You will join a tight-knit, supportive group of people. You'll get space to think about what you want for your life, for your family, for your career, a senior leader mentor and a lot of targeted support in order to get you where you would like to be. And you can find all that on leadersplus.org forward slash fellowship for the details. The next application deadline is on 20th March 2024 and you can download the brochure on leadersplus.org. This week I'm joined by Ellen Taffy. We talk about perfectionism, self-promotion and how to get more women to senior leadership. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone. I am Ellen Tafe. I'm so glad to be here with you today. And I work at the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. I'm a clinical associate professor in the management and organizations department, and I run the women's leadership program there. I do this after a 25-year corporate career. This is a late-stage career for me. I also serve on a couple boards and coach and speak and recently became an author. And in my family, my husband and I are now sort of empty nesters. We have two daughters who are 22 and 25, and the 22-year-old will graduate from college in May. So she'll be home for a little bit and then finding an apartment. And the 25-year-old lives in Chicago, Illinois. And we were just talking a bit before we came on air and how... There is quite a significant difference between the UK, where a lot of our listeners are, and also the US, where more and more of our listeners come from. And I'm interested in your personal experience, if you think back. When you embarked on this journey of being a parent and also having a senior career, were there any things that you believed or subscribed to that you have changed your mind on today? I think initially, I felt like I can do it all just, you know, adding everything that I was doing before I had a baby and then with the addition of the baby. And I think I quickly learned that that is the path to burnout and that I had to let some things go 
delegate where I could, where I could afford so that I could focus on the things that were most important, the things that I could more uniquely do or wanted to do as a working mom. I mean, that sounds great on paper. I always think the implementation is more of a tricky bit. Can you tell me one thing that you were able to let go of? Because that, that's tricky. Unfortunately, it was a lot of things I did with friends because we just got so focused on our immediate family. And I solved for that a couple years later by getting a theater subscription that I now still go to with two friends. And it just secured, I couldn't do as much as I did before, but we had those, you know, what was it, five nights a year where we'd have a great dinner and go see a show. And it was like kind of taking me back. But at work, I would say I set more boundaries. I think I was somebody who always said yes to everything. And I started to say no because I had to. I had a, you know, I have to catch a certain train time to make sure I got home in time so that, you know, I started to just not stay at work as long and leave earlier. So I definitely, it changed me and in a way I became a lot more efficient too. It really resonates to me what you said about friends and having stuff in a diary. I think that when you're so busy and you technically have absolutely no time or practically you do not have time to do stuff for yourself, having things where you don't have to think about or the, the fact that you're paying for a theater subscription, therefore you do have to use it. It's such a powerful thing. I was mentioning before on the podcast, for me, it's a choir. I go there and I know I have some social interaction that isn't linked to children or work, which is just absolutely wonderful. Let's talk about your book. You are an author, which is quite a major thing to become. What moment triggered you to say, okay, now I'm going to write a book? I think it started with getting more focused on how can I help get more women in senior positions. And quite honestly, that's how I started my career. I was the only woman in the sales training class at the Quaker Oats Company. And then I was just busy building my career, really loving, you know, career, family, just focused on that. And late in my career, as I switched industries, I saw places that had a lot less women in senior roles. And then I joined my first board and was the only woman. And then a second board and was the only woman. And while I was able to diversify both in gender and color, since that time, it was sort of a, a wake-up call that we had not advanced as much as I thought. So it initially started with speaking on panels, helping more women realize how to get ready or how to navigate trying to get on a board. And then when the, the women's leadership opportunity opened up at Kellogg, I was actually there interviewing for the CMO job, not really sure if I wanted to do that. And the day I was there, the dean announced a women's leadership program. And I said, can I get that job description? Because that was kind of where I was at as far as like what I was really passionate about. Like late in your career, you end up really thinking much more about what's your legacy and the having a meaningful impact on people and cultures became a really much larger for me late in my career. 
And then when I got to Kellogg, I saw this moment initially where a big auditorium full of people, a female CEO shared her career story and opened it up for questions. And all the questions came from men in the room. And I I was so taken aback. I mean, this was maybe six, seven years ago. And it took me back to my MBA orientation where I didn't raise my hand, neither did the handful of women in the room then. And I thought it would be different. So it sort of started me on this journey of why why are we holding back when this group is so talented and they have so much more opportunities than I, you know, I expect the world of sort of the younger generation, but there was something at play. And so I think I finally had this coalescing of this is what I'm really passionate about. I'm seeing this thing that's happening and people aren't talking about it. And so I had the idea of, and I started writing articles, started talking about it, did a TEDx talk, and then really decided once I did the TEDx talk, embedded in it is this idea of the mirror door, which is the title of the book, which I can talk about, but, but people came up to me afterwards and said, tell me more about that that seems like I'm doing that. And and so that's what led me to join a book writing workshop that was amazing, that I think helped me to do this. I read a lot and it's amazing how many business and leadership books are written by men and uh, compared to women. So good on you that you contributed to the list of books in, written by females on Bookshop. But more than that, good on you for writing a book that really matters around this topic of gender equality. But explain this concept of the mirror door. What do you mean by that? Yeah, the mirror door is my metaphor. And it it's in relationship to we there's so much about the glass ceiling, the highest obstacle that women face in organizations. And what I was seeing is this dynamic in women and in myself, where the moment of opportunity that we are reflecting inward, feeling like there's a door closed to us. And we reflect many times in a distorted view and think we're not ready or worthy. Like it's raising our hand in an auditorium or, you know, if there's a job posting and there's 10, you know, lists of uh, on the criteria list of what they're looking for, we don't move forward if we don't have all 10. And the guys are moving forward, you know, with five or six of the criteria, which is really the company's wish list. And, you know, they're like, I got this. And we're like, oh, I just don't know. I only have eight of the 10. And so it's not true for everyone, but there was enough in the research and the stories. I coach students and I coach a few women a year outside. And I just was seeing this the conditioning of being perfect and sure and other oriented and all these other things have us behind a mirror door where we think it's us. And so much of the time, it's the workplace that I refer to as the mirrored maze that's so challenging to navigate. And we so often reflect inward and think it's us. And sometimes it is, but sometimes we're so conditioned to hold back until we're 100% certain or perfect 
And honestly, all the growth is on the other side of taking action, of opening that door and realizing we're ready enough to go get the experience of, you know, raising our hand and whatever comment falls flat and we have survived or going to the new job that we're going to learn in place. So that's my metaphor of the mirror door that, that in a way we're blocking our, you know, we may be locked out of a lot of things due to, you know, how workplaces that still have a lot of aspects of the past, but we also might be locking ourselves in place too. I have two reactions to that. One is, oh my goodness, I really recognize I've seen this happening, this exact thing so many times and people in our fellowship program, we are, you know, a lot of it is about the parents experimenting and playing with things, trying things out, speaking to their leaders, putting themselves forward and so on. And this, it's sometimes funny in the nicest possible way how much discussion there is beforehand and then what happens and how surprisingly easy it is once you just ask the question of, could I have this job or could I maybe work three days instead of five? Not to say it's easy at all, but I think there's something. But then my other reaction is, it sounds a bit like fixing... The women? I don't know. I'm a bit confused by it because on the one hand, I think we need to name that that is what's happening, that we're sometimes counting ourselves out of opportunities because we are negotiating in our own head what the other person might say and then withdrawing as a result. And then the other thing is you're conditioned to not make mistakes and you're punished as a woman. I think there's quite a bit of research that you are punished more for doing the wrong things. What's your reaction to your reflection? I think that's fair. One of the things that I, I say to my students, so like I just did a presentation on this to 150 MBA students last night, and I say, I'm here to help you see the world that is, and, and there's enough stories and research to support this mirrored door, and I want you to be aware of that so that you can go create the world that we all want. It is not on, all on us because we are conditioned to have these sky-high expectations. And it's true in a career. It's also true when we become moms. I mean, I, I felt it a big way when my daughters were, were little, especially. So it's very true. And I think the book is directed to individuals and their allies and those that manage and want to support advancing women. But I do talk about the workplace. I think that might be my next book, too. So, so I think it's fair to, you know, I understand the question, is this a fix-it book? And I think it's recognize all the power of these things that make us successful, but recognize some of the perils that come with that, too, like waiting for 100% certainty and all that. And at the same time, you, you are right that, there have been many high-profile women taking on senior roles in companies that were troubled. And I think this comes out of women in the past being put on pedestals to expect them to be the best, that you know, make all the right calls and all those sorts of things. And when we fall off that pedestal, the fall is higher and harder. And I think there's some notable public situations where a senior leader, you know, when a woman makes a mistake or when a woman is mean or is seen to have, you know, been more of leading a toxic environment, the reaction, at least in the articles and things like that, and I'm sure in that organization is even higher. Mm -hmm. So 
So I would also say it's a book of a lot of optimism that we can get there, but but we need to take care of ourselves more and give ourselves grace, set more boundaries. And so I have a lot of frameworks on how to do that. Oh, interesting. So first of all, I am sold on the idea of just asking regardless and trying not to have the negotiation within your head and just going for it. But just for anybody who's listening, who's not sold on this idea, why is it so important that they just go past that mirror door and push for what they want? I think it depends on what someone's sort of tendency is. So I have five strategies that make us successful, but they hold peril too. So one is like preparing to perfection. And and this is very powerful. We want people who prepare a lot and, and deliver perfection. What happens over time is that when we climb the corporate ladder, ascend, and expectations rise about our own performance, if we need all the present preparation that we needed in the past, or we can't move forward to make decisions, because doing that is about taking risks. If we can't do that, we can go from like the go-to person who delivers excellence to the worker bee, be seen that way. So the peril is a perceptual one. The peril is also internal, the stress of I don't have as much time as I used to. And I think of myself as perfect. I've achieved so much. That's how I've done it. I did it in school. I did it early in my career. And then I am you know, facing, I got to decide with a lot less information. And so often we know more than we realize. We did all that work and we can likely make the calls. We're just not used to doing that. And so sometimes it's about talking to our managers about how do we understand the risk of the variety of things we work on? How do we focus our energy? Like what are those you know, hopefully fewer things that we're going to deliver A plus effort and what things are we going to, you know, be like B or C, or maybe there's more that we could delegate. Hard to do for someone who is a perfectionist too. I think you've really put the finger on something so important in your book there with that letting go of perfection. It is so important. And I love the point around making decisions without having all the information because we are if we are this high performing person, we probably were always an A student, or I don't know what the equivalent is on this, you know, like the best, the gold star student, you work super hard. And then suddenly, the, when you get very senior, you don't have the time to do everything perfectly. So what have you observed, the type of people who are able to shift to being at ease with not being perfect? And, and what are they doing that we should all also do? I think it takes small steps. So it could be that perfection could be about, I don't want to raise my hand like we talked about earlier because I don't want to sound stupid. I refer to instead of FOMO, FOMU, fear of messing up because we have an identity. We don't mess up. And so part of it is taking small steps to put ourselves out there. I mean, I have a little bit of this and I would end up being too quiet in meetings, I'd join a new board and think, I don't know this industry well enough. I better observe. And I got feedback. You're here for a reason. Like We want you to speak up. And I would prepare with what is my point of view. 
And I would do a little thing where I, I'm like writing here because I would on my pad of paper set myself a goal of in this meeting, I'm going to speak up three times. And so it could be as little as that, or I think that having the conversations of like, what are the big ticket items that I got to be in that more perfectionist side of me? And what are the things I can just go in with a draft Mm -hmm. or just have a hallway conversation of what do you think about this? What do you like? Let's sort of see where we're aligned so Mm -hmm. that I can what work is. So every single one of these five strategies has this power that makes us successful but there's a peril personally and perceptually. And the pivot starts with small, I always say small acts of courage, but it's really small steps that step away from that is sort of like entering into imperfection in a way too. Interesting. And what you're describing in that example is you being in a new environment, a new board, where you don't know the ins and outs yet and takes more practice to wing it. And when you're doing your professor thing, then I'm sure you've done it in a number of years. You're probably quite at ease. I might be exaggerating, but it's easier to. It's much more easy now. Yeah. Interesting. I've done it before. It's the student interaction. It's the new thing. Mm. Too often, organizational structures are not set up for working parents to thrive and progress their careers. And that's one of the root cause for the frequent feelings of guilt or feeling stuck in our careers that many of us experience. It is a root cause of why so many parents are plateauing in their careers, which leads to that terrible lack of women in senior leadership. We at Leaders Plus help to change this through our amazing community of alumni from our fellowship program, all our work with employers and of course our research. But right here, right now, in an often imperfect environment, I believe working parents do deserve support to develop and progress their careers in a way that works for them. Too often, it is lonely in a leadership role with children. And I believe you deserve, we all deserve, a supportive community of peers around us. In a hectic world, you deserve time and space to think what you want for your career and family life so you can make it happen. In a world where the privileged learn through old boys clubs about how to progress their careers, we all deserve to access that information about what really gets you to your dream role so that we can implement it in a way that works for us, that doesn't require us going for drinks with the boss every evening uh, on long evenings out because we want to be there for our children. Those are just some of the reasons why I set up the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. And I would love for you to consider to apply. Here are some of the voices from our previous fellows. The Leaders Plus Fellowship has ultimately it's changed my life. The fellowship really has changed my life. And I'm, I'm in the process of returning to work now. And I can't wait. I can't wait to make a change, to put myself first, to build up my team, to build up those around me and to really make a difference. Thank you. I completed the Leaders Plus program in 2021 as I was returning from mat leave with my second child. It was game-changing for me. My advice to anyone considering whether they deserve such a support program is don't hesitate. 
do prioritize, do fight for the time to get clear on why and how you will work it. I offer my absolute support and encouragement to anybody that's considering the program. Download the brochure from our website, leadersplus.org, and if it is of interest, apply by 20th March 2024. And this temptation to be perfect, how in your own life, when you're noticing that you're, you start to try to be super prepared and super perfect, how do you overcome it? I understand sometimes you have to give in and you do have to prepare fair enough, but how do you just deal with that sense of discomfort? I think that sometimes reflecting on what's at stake, to me, I think that's a really powerful question. And for me, especially when I was a, you know, a mom of young kids, I felt like my house needed to be perfect. And I think I got to a point of balance of my delivery of, you know, the ABC work at work, but at home, I put so much pressure on myself with these sky high expectations. Well, my mom was a stay at home mom for much of my life, not all of it. And I can't say our house was perfect, but I I had this image in my head of how perfect I needed to be. And it was leading me to feel like too much pressure. And it wasn't about fear of messing up. It was almost like this could burn me out. And so like, what's most important here? And, you know, what's my way to get help from others? And I think we're important for me. Or when my kids were school age or preschool age, I felt like, I was in an environment where there were a lot of other stay-at-home moms and I was full-time working mom in a pretty big job, walking to the train early in the morning with a lot of their husbands. So, you know, kind of a different environment. But as I got to know more of the stay-at-home moms, they were stressed out too, (laughs) in a way. And it kind of led me to think everyone's thinking they have to be perfect. And whether that's the whatever we have to bring to the school you know, I almost felt like I needed to make sure my kids were so perfect in everything too early on. And I let go of that, just let them be kids too. And, you know, sometimes things were messy. You know, there's a great quote, there's magic in the mess. And like, I find that very inspirational because sometimes things are going to be messy and this is not the right time to be reorganizing, you know, and I have to give myself a break. So the what's at stake was my well-being in a lot of ways. I think later on, what's at stake in my career was I stopped tolerating some things that, you know, being asked to do more and more and not any reward for it. Or, you know, because I think it was easy to ask me (laughs) to do it. And a lot of times I like doing whatever the volunteer thing was. I was like very much needed to sit on my hands when they needed a new person on the committee. It almost sounds like you give yourself permission to put yourself first. And there's something else that you advocate, which is self-promotion. How do you give yourself permission to do that? Yeah, that one of the other strategies is patiently performing. This was very true for me early on in my career too, but it is you know, head down doing the work, it makes you really easy to manage and work with. But we miss that the way it works is we have to share what we've accomplished. 
and what we want. And when we are patiently performing and not realizing that other people are saying what they want to do and, you know, asking for what they want, we can feel invisible. Like, what about me? But we also get me perceived as less ambitious. And it's so often rooted in this distaste for self-promotion. Like in my case, in my family, my mom would say, don't be a braggart to all of us. And I think it's given each of my siblings. And I think humility is part of our leadership style, but perhaps we overcompensated on that. Or in my case, it was hard for me to do this. And I think it's a reframe into it's how it works. It's collaborative career planning. And when you speak to your MBA students, what do you tell them about how to promote themselves in a way that doesn't feel weird? Great question. You know, I have this framework that I call SIGN that is about, you know, to my earlier question, it starts with what are the stakes? So getting in touch with what are the stakes for your career? What do you want? So that it gets you in touch with your why for the sake of, I want to be this certain job or for the sake of, I want to be a working mom who can go the distance and create a sustainable career or whatever that is for the sake of, you know, being able to send my kids to college, whatever that is for you. So what's at stake? And then it's really a how to prepare for a meeting, but it's thinking through the stakes. What's the intention? For example, you might want to go into a meeting and understand how the promotion process works. Or you might want to go in with, I want to raise awareness with my boss on how I handled this project. So it's about sharing. And then goals, what do you want long-term? Because you're probably not going to get it in one meeting. So it's a way to start to think of about the, what do you want longer term and what questions could serve you in the near term? So if I want to become vice president, how am I tracking relative to that? Or what are key positions that would help me to get there if that's my longer term goal? So different things like that related to your goals. And then the last one, the N in the SIGN acronym is negotiables. And we think negotiables so often are compensation, you know, money, but it's also projects. It might be mentors or training programs or things that will help stretch you so that the idea behind it is to plan and have a courageous conversation, but also get yourself ready to have a give and take to learn about how it works where you are, but also to explore and collaborate on what are the ways you can get there through feedback, but also through there might be different experiences that your manager could help you get to that will help develop you. So you're showing your own ambition and what you aspire to, but you're also showing what you've done thus far. And so it's just adding some structure to what's hard to do, but it's got to be really true to you. And I think the biggest shift is from self-promotion, yuck, to collaborative career planning. And if I want a career here, this is how it works. I can tell you from managing across industries that men come in all the time asking for the raise, the title, the new job, the office, the project. 
women weren't doing that. And part of it is, I think, rooted in, you know, if I have to ask for it, it's just not as good (laughs) or, you know, rooted in a lot of other things that come with our sky high expectations about kind of discounting ourselves or I don't want to seem too pushy or these other things that I think often are gendered learnings that we have through childhood and get reinforced in school and in, in our society and in our careers. I really love the clarity of that model, that sign model. I am going to throw some complexity in there, though, because we've just done a piece of research and it turns out that four in 10 working mothers in the UK in our sample have said they've received comments about not being that committed to work. So as in their co-workers or bosses assuming that now they have kids, they're less committed to their careers. And I just wondered, how do you have the conversation that you've just described, but also make sure that it's okay to show that you have children, but that not making your boss think that you're a slacker? Mm -hmm. I can't even say I'm saying this because that is so bad that we are assuming this, but clearly people are faced with these assumptions. So how do you deal with them? Yeah, I mean, it is shocking, but it's out there. It's true. I don't think it's just in the UK at all that there's still this view that it's a penalty when women become moms. That is the opposite for men, even though I think more and more men are more involved in their children's upbringing than once what was the norm. I think it's, again, I hate to say that it's on us to do this, but I think it's wise using something like the sign framework to be able to convey, I am really committed to this company or my career, but expressing that I want to both be a mom and I want to have that next promotion, or I want to do well in my current job. And I just want to reinforce that with you. And I think that we need to still be focused and get our jobs done. But sometimes it takes words too to express that. I will tell you, I faced a situation where I knew that they were going to downsize from two to one marketing directors. And I had more cross-functional experience, but I didn't have as much marketing experience as the other marketing director. And in a, a moment of bravery, I went in to my boss and said, I know you have a big decision ahead of you. Here's why I think I'm the right person for the job. And I was pregnant at the time. So I also thought that's going to work against me. But I said, here's why I think I'm the right person for the job. And I am determined to come back after leave because I thought there was always a question mark about that with some people, especially back then. And if you give the job to me, I promise you, you're never going to regret it. And I don't even know how I got the gumption to do that in the moment, but I did. I did end up getting the job. But in the moment when I told him that, he said, I'm so glad you told me that with so much changing for you, I didn't really know where you were at. And he didn't use the word pregnant or anything like that. But that was the big change, you know, with my stomach out to here. That was what was going on there. And so I think it takes us to be able to raise our, you know, whatever our ambitions are. And at the same time, I can always remember I was in a a mentoring circle, which is why I love the community that you've created. It was really powerful for me. And when I was pregnant, 
there was a senior woman that came in and I asked her, how did she do this? She was president of a division, had two boys, you know, that were still pretty young. And she said, in my memory, I'm bullish enough to think that 80% of me is better than 100% of some of these other people. And in that moment, like I still carry that with me. I'm not someone who ever says I'm bullish. And she had kind of a, you know, like a badass side to her that was not me, but I was so inspired by that. And I thought that's probably true. And I bet so many of your listeners think I run circles around some of the other people and I've had to because I'm the woman or I'm the person of color or whatever that is. And so I do think that frequently 80% of us is better than 100% of some of the other people. And I also felt like as I set more boundaries and just I'm going to be more efficient, I skip more lunches. I ate more lunches at my desk, which I eventually felt like I got at least two days a week work. This is back when we were all in the office, but I need to interact with more people. But, you know, I was out the door to get the early train and all those kinds of things. But I got it done and it wasn't what I used to do, but I still got the results. And so I wasn't at the 100% that never, you know, kept staying later at the office or all those things. So her words inspired me. So I love to share Sue's advice to me. I hope that helps your audience. That's very inspiring. And I really resonate. I mean, we should probably say it's quite funny that we are recording this conversation whilst also my two-year-old is watching TV. He's been sent home from nursery ill, in quotation marks, although very, very bubbly and happy ill. And I think it's just, I'm really enjoying the conversation. I'm sure our listeners will. And it just shows that there are so many things. It is absolutely okay to do 80% and you can still be excellent if you're focusing on the right things. And I really, I can't quite put it into words, but I really agree with what you're saying. And there's also something that you've said a lot in this conversation, which is courage and bravery. And you described a few situations where you just did it anyways, despite the fears or despite the rational brain thinking, don't do it. And I think that's interesting. So we're coming towards the end of our time together. And I just wanted to challenge you. I haven't given you this question in the briefing. So tell me if you'd rather not answer it. But I would like to ask you, if someone is listening to this and is inspired by what you said and wants to be that extra 10% braver this week, what practically can they do to do this, to go through that mirror door more often this week? I believe it's all about courage. And in a world where everyone's searching for self-confidence, confidence is the outcome. The prerequisite to open the door is courage. And I think, I don't know exactly what step. What I would say is think about where you've been courageous before in your life. I think being a working mom is courageous. I bet you could probably list at least three things where each person could list. We have way more courage than we realize. And you could go back to when have I moved forward into something that had uncertainty or that had risk and it worked out or maybe it didn't work out and I still was okay. I had a lot of learning. And so it's tapping into that to say whatever sort of small thing that I, I find myself saying, I don't know, I'm not ready, I'm not worthy, or like, uh, I have to do more. Really take a, a sharp assessment. Do I really need to do more? 
or is this a time I can move forward in courage? Interesting. And there is, for me personally, I've learned that sometimes courage is just for me, and then it will be different. But for me, it's about action. And there's always going to be fear. I'm a very risk averse person. But the reason I've done some things that I'm proud of is because I just tried a little bit anyways, just that extra 10% of leaning into a minor thing. It's been so thought-provoking chatting to you, Ellen. I'm so glad that I had the courage of putting my child in front of the TV and continuing with our conversation because we've moved it already so many times. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will want to look at your work and your book. Where should they go and find out about you? Where can they find about the details of the book? The book is called The Mirror Door, Break Through the Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place. My name is Ellen Tafe. My website is ellentafe.com. And I am on LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I also at ellentafe.com slash workbook. I have a free 50-page reflection and exercise guide. There are journal prompts in the book, but this is even going deeper. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And can I just say, you are courageous. You led this community, this company, this podcast. So I think you're someone who takes some risks. (laughs) Thank you very much. I try not to. (laughs) (laughs) Some good risks, some good calculated risks. And you learn from it too. That is very true. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening today. And a special thank you to all of those of you who have connected with me on LinkedIn in the last few weeks. I really, really love hearing from listeners and hearing how you enjoyed the show. So it means a lot. Thank you so much. If you would like to be in touch in real life, do consider joining the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program. It is such a fantastic community of working parents supporting each other to find a way to get careers where you can make a big difference in senior roles but also do that unapologetically in a way that works for us and if you want to apply then the deadline is 20th of march you can download the brochure for the program on leadersplus.org podcasting is also quite a male-dominated environment if you look at the top charting podcasts especially outside of the kids and family space very often it's all led by men i can't remember the numbers but it is very well dominated just take a look at the charts and interestingly enough more females than males listen to podcasts so another unequal space and thank you for supporting this podcast by listening to it but if you want to help us i guess have more influence in the space then please do help by sharing it with your friends and by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much to all of those of you who've done that already. Have a wonderful week.